Today on SCC, the Card Ladder crew unveil the CL50 Index. They discuss what it is, what it does, and how it can help you on your hobby journey. All this now on SCC. Welcome to Sports Cards Culture, Episode 11. My name's Chris. I'm here with Josh, Cardboard Chronicles, Christina, Christina's PC, Nick, Stiff Arm Wax. Welcome to Episode 11. So today... Uh, we're going to talk about the Card Ladder Index, uh, which we just rolled out. It's called the CL50. It tells a very interesting story, but let's start with the basics. What is an index and why does it matter? I'm not asking you. That's rhetorical. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Christina, what is an index? Uh, Ox- I have no freaking idea. <laughs> Oxford Languages defines an index as an indicator or measure of something. And the concept of an index will be familiar to those who follow the stock market. There are several well-known stock market indices like the Dow Jones Industrial Average, on which many investors keep a close eye. The Dow was first calculated in 1896, and it measures the stock performance of 30 large companies. A pretty straightforward calculation. Originally, the current stock prices of those 30 companies were just added together and then divided by the number of companies. So in other words, the Dow Jones was just a simple arithmetic average. If there were 30 companies and the total of all their prices was $300, then the Dow would have been $10. Uh, Simply divide 300 by 30 companies. Nowadays, a divisor is used that just for stuff like stock splits, but don't worry about that. The concept remains the same. The point of the Dow is to reflect the average price of its 30 stocks at a given time. Now, as the average price changes over time, such as from week to week or from day to day, financial analysts look to it to indicate broader trends in the stock market as a whole. Some of the companies on the Dow include Coca-Cola, Boeing, Apple, Microsoft, and Walmart. Okay. With some help and encouragement from Garrett, who can be found on Instagram at 23over underscore elo, we came up with the Card Ladder 50. It is an index comprised of 50 iconic rookie cards, stuff like the 2003 Topps Chrome LeBron, the 1979 OPG Gretzky, and the 1952 Mickey Mantle are on the index. So the CL50 is calculated the same way the Dow originally was calculated. We simply add up the price of its 50 constituent cards, divide that total by 50, and then track how that number goes up and down over time. Okay, now let me bring in Josh. Josh, you pretty much selected the 50 cards. I might have chimed in on one or two, and I totally agree with the ones you selected, but you did the lion's share of that mental work. And I imagine it was not easy picking those cards. So the breakdown goes like this. There's 16 basketball, 15 baseball, 10 football, 5 hockey, 2 soccer, 1 golf, and 1 Pokemon card. So my question to you is, how did you choose these cards? And relatedly, what was your goal in assembling this list? Well, this list is very you know, personal to me and the hobby, just being around it so long. And I feel like I know, I have a pretty good pulse on like what the hobby values, you know, in terms of which cards are the most important. But I wanted to try to introduce some flavor to it with like rare cards. It just doesn't really work that way with an index. You just don't get enough sales volume on those kind of items. And they're really just not meant... For that, they just don't serve the right purpose. We don't get the, the, the proper averages. So I kind of had to like swallow my pride on that one and figure out which cards make for the best index. And honestly, it's, uh, it's a pretty simple method. I just sorted by market cap on the ladder and then picked the player's card who had the highest market cap. And then from within that card, I picked the player's grade who had the most sales in the highest grade possible. So if like they were close enough with the number of sales, in the higher grade, I would choose the higher grade. 
so that you know it makes it pretty simple honestly like Jordan Fleer is always up top LeBron Chrome that knocks out those two keep scrolling look for the next unique player uh, and then you start getting into Brady Trout Mahomes we actually excluded Mahomes because we wanted to go further back in history so we try to get players who've been in the who've been playing for at least 10 years at least 10 year old rookie cards that's pretty much the criteria after that it kind of made itself like I just kept scrolling market cap find a player okay Adam it turns out that people spend their money on things that you know are the right cards for the hobby so that's amazing so even the breakdown by sport which was very emblematic of the hobby like 16 basketball 15 baseball 10 football you know that's kind of how the market cap situation sorted itself out as well yeah it's kind of funny because you think like oh this player's super hot right now his cards have got to be going crazy but the market cap has always been kind of our has been always been our measuring stick at card ladder because it really does tell you exactly where people are spending the bulk of their money and you know if you ever want to know the truth about somebody content creators collectors anybody just look at what they're spending their money on so if you sort by market cap, you'll know exactly what people are spending their money on. Ah, uh, yes. Did any names stand out to you or were they unusual? Because to me, there's some great, it's it's not even like there's great cards. They're also the great athletes. Joe Montana, Dan Marino, Nolan Ryan. The names that made it onto that list are really that elite, elite tier of athletes. Did anybody surprise you who made it onto the list? There was not as many modern guys in the top of the market cap as I thought there would be. It was pretty much Luca, Mahomes, and Giannis were the only, and Trout, I guess, if you want to consider him a younger player. Those were the only real guys that were up that high in the market cap. Everybody else was like established. They have had cards for a long time. People trust the, the value of those. I was kind of surprised at sort of the depth of, I guess, like football and baseball. I wasn't expecting to see... Like Walter Payton, I guess, maybe Dan Marino. Their cards were higher up in the market cap than I anticipated. I just kind of thought, like, oh, I'll probably see, you know, young rookie guys higher up. And I, you know, like Zion and Luka cards were really, really high up in the market cap above those players. But I was just expecting to see, you know, Dan Marino and guys like that much lower than they were. There has been a recent, I don't know if the word is correction. There's been a recent adjustment in the market, though, to whereas a lot of these quote-unquote vintage cards have suddenly increase in value two to three X that would then boost up the market cap. So maybe it was a, the timing of when these cards were selected was, <laughs> will, will prove interesting as we look back uh, from the, from the vantage point of six. Yeah, the, import, the important thing to point out for us was that we, we wanted to choose the 50 relevant things for today, but also we don't want to be swapping cards in and out of the 50 if we can avoid it. Like, so you don't want to put Zion in there necessarily. Cause that, that might not last for more than a year or two. Whereas like Dan Marino, Walter Payton, I mean, those guys are like legendary Hall of Famers, top five of their position all time. We don't, we're not really worried about that. Definitely. Okay, so now let me ask you this. One of Card Ladder's taglines, perhaps my favorite one, is that Card Ladder tells the story of the hobby with data. So Josh, from your point of view, what purpose or purposes does the index serve? So like, for example, what are the strengths and limitations of an index like the CL50? What story does it tell? What story doesn't it tell? Um, I think it tells the exact same story as the Dow Jones for the stock market. It is it is what it is. It's not trying to be more than it, than it is. It's just this is kind of the, the barometer, the index, the baseline for the overall hobby. The thing that it lacks that I mentioned at the beginning is that it just doesn't tell the story of 
the hobby to a lot of us, which is that you know these 50 cards aren't in a lot of our collections because we're looking for more rare items or we have more specific tastes or players that are more modern. So it doesn't really tell the story of um, my collection or my you know what the hobby is to me as an individual. It kind of tries to just tell like, well, if you're looking as an outsider, how the, the market as a whole is doing, this is what it's telling. Definitely. Christina, let me tag you in. Do you care about indexes at all? I mean, the graph looks cool. Yeah? No? The functionality of the graph is terrific. Yeah, it's amazing. I I mean, I'm not... I just like to look at pretty cards, guys. Talk about pretty cards for a second. You have a McDonald's box on the table here. <laughs> what, what's going on with this Happy Meal box? Um... I was inspired by Josh's uh, his appearance on the New York City News. On yes. the New York City News yes. to go out and buy a Happy Meal. <laughs> I get asked this, you know, almost every day. Are we in a bubble? Hobbyist Josh Johnson created the market analysis tool, website, and app Card Ladder. And while he agrees specific areas of card collecting now appear bubblish, in the greater hobby, Josh still sees potential for future growth. You're rich now. I am. <laughs> okay. So range of opinions and perspectives here. <laughs> Um, it, and that's I knew you would have a contrarian take on that compared to us, and, and it's good. It's good to hear that range of opinions because you're just as voracious of a collector as I am or Josh is, but you're thinking about the the market and buying and selling things from a totally different point. Yeah, of view. I hate selling things. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Coming up on Sports Cards Culture, analyzing the CL50. Imagine everything you love about the hobby in the palm of your hand. An entire store at your fingertips. Everything you need to know about cards is within your grasp. Unlock the secrets of the hobby. Plus, so much more. You don't have to imagine anymore. It's here. Card Ladder. Get the app today. SCC Sports Cards Culture. Keep up with the crew and follow them on all the socials. Plus, join Josh and Chris and sometimes special guest Christina every Friday night on Instagram Live. The crossover. We just explained what the CL50 is. Now let's analyze it. Uh, one big decision we made before we started Card Ladder was that we wanted to track all-time online sales histories. And it takes a while to piece them together and vet all those data points. But now that we have 8,000 cards and counting in the database, it is incredibly powerful to be able to look back at all those different cards' price movements over many years. So we have retroactively plotted the movements of the Card Ladder 50 going back to 2015. As Josh said earlier, the reason we didn't go back further is that we wanted to be able to include, you know, quote-unquote, newer cards like the 2013 Yaz uh, Giannis Prism in this index. So the first day that the CL50 tracks is June 23rd, 2015. Christina, what? 
Why is June 23rd a symbolic day? It is exactly five years prior to Card Ladder's launch. Correct. So, on June 23rd, 2015, the CL index average was 2,162 points. The index shot up to 4,234 points on June 23rd of 2016. So, the index increased 96% over the first year that it was tracked, and that coincided with the vintage boom that took place in the summer of 2016. Now, the index slowly declined throughout the rest of 2016 and throughout 2017. It got as low as 2,984 points on March 26, 2018, representing a decline of nearly 30% from its peak. The index then rebounded and climbed back over 4,000 points in August of 2019. It got as high as 4,500 points in March of 2020, which was right before COVID stay-at-home orders began coming down. The index dipped to 4,200 points in early April, but then surged to 5,000 by mid-May. By August 2nd, it had skyrocketed to 8,400, day after day setting all-time highs. It reached nearly 11,000 in mid-September, marking a growth of 150% over the first four months under the pandemic. It remained relatively flat until December, but then it blew past 11,000 points. The index continued to surge throughout January and February of 2021, flying past 12,000, then 15,000, then flying past 20,000 points. Today, the CL50 sits at 24,000 points. It's up 63% over the last month, 122% over the last quarter, and it is up 461% over the last year. So, Josh, this is what we mean when we say data tells an important story of the hobby. So, let me get your reaction to the story that the CL50 data just told about the last five and a half years. I mean, if I was picturing, like, what the graph would look like before I ran the query on it, it's pretty similar you know like the feelings uh, of how i feel about the hobby growth is pretty and it's just like exploded in the last couple months and that, that obviously is like the thing that jumps out um and then you know i ran it and looked at the graph and was like yeah that makes sense that's exactly what i thought it would be and i've run a bunch of other things kind of behind the scenes different data that we can collect different queries i can run on all the data we've collected and a lot of them are like pretty interesting, but this one to me was just like, yeah, that's exactly because we came back in the hobby in 2016, and I remember it was kind of in the midst of the a little bit of a boom, and like that's probably what brought me in to be, you know, if you think back about it. And then it was just sort of like a lull for a couple of years, and we're just sort of doing our thing, collecting what we like, and then then everyone else wanted in. And now here we are. Talk about that for a second. I mean, it didn't feel this way to me, uh, and it probably didn't to you either, because we collected cards that are not really consistent with the stuff that's on the CL50. So like I was collecting Jordan inserts from beginning in June of 2016 until, you know, until 2018, 2019, I was really just only doing those and those go up uh, month after month, year after year. But the CL50 um, from its peak in summer of 2016 through 2017 and 2018 retreated you know up to 30 percent on a pretty steady decline there really wasn't much volatility Mm. it was just coming down did talk about that experience talk about how important it is that um or how interesting or useful it is to think about collectors like you me christina everybody who had been in the hobby at that time we kept on collecting we had our niches we had our lanes 
And even as an index representing, you know, a lot of important cars like the CL50 was taking a big step back, we were we were almost like oblivious to it or something. I don't, I don't know how to how to you, you, what what can you add on to that? Yeah, I think the the linear graphs of what you're describing versus the CL50 are very different, but I feel like the logarithmic graph would be very similar. It's like they both sort of saw the same trajectory over the last five years, but the rare stuff is just, like you said, seen this like kind of steady uptick, especially on the Jordan insert stuff that, that you followed so closely. It was like, it was an all-time high every single time, but it was never like double, triple like we're seeing now in the last month. It was just sort of like we got to the same location. We just sort of got there a little bit more naturally. And now that the hobby's exploding, you know, at a at a massive level, it's we're seeing that the most in the CL50. Those are the cards that all these new people are buying. It makes the most sense for for new investors. But the stuff we've had, you know, you might not know it, but like the rare stuff has just kind of been gradually going up that rate as well. For sure, um, it is interesting that they they have kind of converged at the same destination of of late. It's almost like there was this rapid game of catch-up being played over the last two to three months. The other yeah. thing that shocks me, um, you know, looking at the index, seeing that over the last year it's up 460%, uh, but by the same token, you know, right now it's at 24,000, but when it was at 10,000, you know, in August and September, I was continually thinking to myself, how much more can this go up? How much how, is this rate of growth, you know, it doubled over the first four months of COVID. Can this really sustain itself? I constantly am asking myself this question just as an intellectual curiosity. I'm not really invested or collecting any of the any of those cards, but it's just a curiosity. Do you do you feel that same way, too? Like, you know, yeah. we just we just pause and pause. Like, when does this stop? Well, I mean, it's naive to think that, like, we're just going to keep seeing these in insane growth rates every month. Uh, that can all be bunked by the f by just simple fact of, like, twice as many people just keep coming in. But eventually, like, we're going to hit mass mania, and that has to reduce at a certain point. Uh, you know, I think nobody, everything, everyone should be prepared for that, and everyone should think what's going to happen if everything gets cut in half in the next three months and we get back down to a CL of 11,000. And, and even at that point, like, if there's nothing to panic about, we're still on the same trajectory we were over the last five years. It's just we saw a little bit of a crazy up, and then we saw a crazy down to correct it. And I, I anticipate we'll see something like that. It may not be, you know, in the next month or two. It's going to come eventually where we're, you know, every investor, they tell you in the stock market, you don't want to look at something and zoom in on two months. You want to kind of like zoom back and think about it in like a retirement level, like 30 years. You zoom back. Yeah, sure. You're gonna see blips and ups and downs in between, but if, like if you just look at the total totality of it, it's just kind of this up and right over time, uh, just sort of following like the American market as a whole. And it's the same thing here. Use the CL50 as like zoom back. What am I looking at in cards, super long term, and try not to get bogged down in these like these FOMO blips of like, oh, I had to buy this type of card in that one month. Why did I do that? I could have just waited, bought it down here, and eventually it wouldn't have mattered anyways. You know, it's like. That's why I just don't understand this whole, I got to buy this thing today or else. Uh, it's a long game. There's tons of tons of time here. You know, build your collection over a long... I'm getting into the, the super tangent here, but uh, take it home for me, but, you know, bring it back. I think... Oh, I love this tangent cause, because you were talking about how the growth rate of rare cards is, is it's not so FOMO-driven. Uh, there's non-rookie cards like we talked about last week. Talk about this a little bit. This is a great tangent because I, if I'm a listener, I'm thinking to myself, perhaps, what do I buy then if if I want to sidestep, 
you know, this FOMO blip that 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 seems to be happening right now? Well, I think you you just got to make a list of what you want to buy over the next 10 years, you know, and try to space it out. Don't try to like now I understand like the the short term flip game and everything and that stuff can be profitable and you can you can try to play those games. But it's the same thing with the stock market in, in certain instances where people tell you like, you know, don't don't try to like time the market necessarily all the time. The people who are winning the biggest are the ones who are the most patient and have the strongest hands on stuff. And I feel like that's true in cards, like the people like us that have held these sort of rare things over time, we've done better with that stuff than we would have sort of like flipping our way through it along the way. So, I, you know, there's lots of ways to skin a cat. It just depends on, you know, how you like to approach it. But if you're coming at it from the perspective of like, I want to build this collection over time, you've got a long time at it and there's not really any rush to like snag everything, especially in this current uh, climate where everything's sort of like crazy, you know, everyone's trying to buy stuff. I love that. I, I've never, I've I always have a mental checklist of certain grails and non-grails that appeal to me, you know, eBay saved searches, but I've never sat down and wrote a list. These are the items I'd like to collect. I think just the act of doing that could be extremely focusing and, and let me not get so distracted by card A, B and C or what's hot right now. And then I start trying to chase that and well, what's the card that's going to go up next? And then, you know, trying to time markets. Um, okay. Like if you had, let's just say there was a card that you wanted that was a hundred thousand dollars. You're like, that's just a crazy amount of money. It's so much money. I don't have a hundred thousand. Um, and yes, you probably don't have a hundred thousand today, but if I told you, you had four years to amass it, you probably figure out like a way to get to a hundred thousand eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but the price of the card now being a hundred thousand is <laughs> not the up. price of the card in four years. So then, then you, you just to... you just get smaller cards with your hundred thousand, and then you know you, the we and then you just ride the wave of the hobby right with that card. And then once you have card equity in a hundred thousand or whatever, it's pretty much been you just like describe my strategy to a T. Because it's like, yeah, I'm paying all time high for like the finest gold, LeBron. I paid a crazy price relative to what I would have been able to pay two years ago, it's the same relation as what I bought at that time and what it went up to. to it's the same thing. Definitely. Definitely. All right, Christina, let me now get yes. your reaction to the story that the CL50 tells about the last five and a half years in okay. the hobby. Okay, wait for it. You're all, you're like, all of your minds are going to be blown. Ready? <laughs> it tells the story of the hobby. The hobby's <laughs> doing well. Okay. The hobby is healthy, therefore the graph is going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, let's close with this. Um, we are in an era of rapidly accelerating prices, uh, and it's not just sports cards. Um, it's even to a much greater extent in the short term and stuff like NBA Top Shot. Uh, and then, a side note: one one wonders what would the sports card market look like if there wasn't these competing sort of adjacent alternatives like Top Shot, cryptocurrencies, things like that. Um, this can create unreasonable expectations and create fear of missing out, like we were just mentioning. It can create irrational exuberance. So, Josh, let's bring this home with talking a little bit about what are the proper ways to mentally adjust and adapt to a red hot market uh last week like i said we looked at non-rookie cards um the cl50 is obviously fine-tuned to rookie cards 
personally, how are you psychologically? Because this is a new experience for all of us in the hobby. How are you psychologically processing this, reconciling yourself with what we're seeing, keeping your eye on the prize? How how are you? What's how are you doing that? You're gonna be surprised by this answer, Christina. But I think you kind of hit it earlier when you were like, you sort of like, you just ignored everything we said about the index and markets and (laughs) stuff, and you were like, I just like looking at pretty cards, and it's like that's kind of how it is, you know? That's that's my answer. It's like I don't really care what all these different markets are doing. To be honest, like, I'm just going to figure out what my lane is within all this craziness and and go from there. I think it really is just like, it stinks, but, you know, don't have the FOMO. Like, just figure out what you like to do and, and go after that specific little niche within it. Because you're not, you're not just going to be able to, like, wrap your arms around Top Shot and, you know, high-end vintage and all these different things. Like, you're just not going to be able to, like, get a piece. And you're going to be, oh, I should have bought Top Shot when it was this. I should have done this. All that stuff doesn't matter. You just got to figure out what is my goal, what am I trying to collect, and you know, not just necessarily what which thing do I think is going to go up in value over the next couple months. Figure out like what what do I like about it and what things do I actually want to possess? Because that's that's kind of my beef with Top Shot is like nobody actually wants to possess that stuff. They just want it for the prospect of making more money. Whereas in cards, there is a, a huge base of like collecting and ownership and physical tangible assets that I want to have in my possession. And if you don't have that base, you know, I'm kind of concerned for the long-term prospects of it. That's a that's that's the way to bring it home right there. All right guys, this was episode 11 of Sports Card Culture. See you next week. Thanks for watching. Tell us in the comment section below what the crew should cover next week and don't forget to subscribe. See you next time in SCC Sports Cards Culture. <laughs>